so much to be thankful for. I'm not going to preach a traditional Thanksgiving message today, but as we get into the Word in a moment, we just need to remember how much there really is to be thankful for. And uh, appreciate Gail's reminder. It's not just once a year. Uh, it's every day, no matter what's in front of us. We should remember to give thanks. Amen. Amen. And I guess we'll be giving thanks for snow on this Thanksgiving. We're going to see how many how many Thanksgiving dinners that ruins. <laughs> hey, I want to I want to encourage. I, I, I should have been doing this ahead of time, and I I just didn't, and I I didn't think of it in time, but. It's not too late. Some of you have room at your table this Thanksgiving. And there are some people who have no place to be this Thanksgiving in the congregation, I think. So if there's people with a, play, a, a, a room at the table, and some, maybe you could try to find somebody in the congregation that you know is maybe a single or retired and widow, whatever, living alone, and, and reach out to them and try to try to get some people around your table. We've got 22 of them around our table. And if you've seen my house, it's 1,500 square feet. We're full. And uh, we've got a few extras um, coming. And uh, so, uh, you know, if, if you do have room, I don't know how that's going to work. But uh, we, you know, we know each other in family. You can just go to somebody you might know that might be alone and say, hey, would you like to come and have Thanksgiving dinner with our family? Amen. Maybe next year we can plan it better and, and have a special Thanksgiving dinner for some singles and <coughs> small families. I don't know. I've never tried to do a Thanksgiving dinner for two. Just seems like you should be with people on, on Thanksgiving. Amen. Um, a minute ago you would raise your hand, Mom. Did you have a, something? During the offering you kind of put your hand up. That is true. We have a great church. If you're visiting, you found a great church. It's not perfect, but it's a great church. And the church is the people. It's not the building. The whole word means, uh, it means the called out ones. It's the people that, that gather together. So we are the church when we come together and are, and are uh, ministering and loving one another. And we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. Chapter 4. Is Marissa still back there? She's not. Okay. I've got a lot of scriptures. I'm going to read the whole book, Elise. The whole chapter. The whole chapter. So st stuff a book in front of Matthew and let him read it. Amen. I didn't know if I was going to read it, but but I just thought we're 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 going we're we're kind of going chapter through chapter, and so we're in in four, and and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna read it, and it takes about four minutes or so here. Hang on. Um, I'm reading out of the New King James, and uh, so if you've got a different version, 
you can just kind of figure out some of the differences here. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod or a staff. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He reached out his hand and he caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that thou shalt take water from the river, pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as a God or as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the, do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. And Moses took his wife and his son, and he set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she, then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. 
So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. We made it all the way through. So last week we talked, uh, of course, about Exodus chapter 3, which was Moses encountering God in the burning bush on Mount Horeb. Remember, Moses, Moses is a son of the Pharaohs. He was raised in Pharaoh's house as, as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. So we believe he was educated. He was, uh, he, he was taught the wisdom and the knowledge of, of Egypt. Um, he was probably taught how to speak because anyone coming out of Pharaoh's house would need to be able to present themselves. Um, he had courage and strength that we saw because remember when he was 40, in fact, he might have even been brash. He was, when he was 40, he went out and he found the two uh, Egyptians fighting and he killed one. And, and when he found the the Hebrews fighting each other, the, the Egyptian and the Hebrew, he killed the Egyptian. When he next day found two Hebrews fighting and he confronted them. So he was strong. He was courageous. The Moses we're finding here is not the same man. Something's changed. And, and he, he began to change, I think, when, when uh, he fled from Egypt the first time and he spent 40 years as a shepherd. 40 years as just a shepherd taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law out on the hills and in the wilderness. And so the Moses we're seeing today is, is a little bit different. He's broken. He, uh, he understands his limitations. He's, he's coming up, remember, he's come up with a, a different excuses of why he shouldn't go. You know, who am I that should go, and, and what will I tell them? And all of these excuses he begins to tell, uh, tell God. Um, back in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, says, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He's talking about his inadequacy. He's just, he's not adequate. I don't have enough room for everything today. God has a mission for him. He doesn't feel that he can do it. And, and, and in verse 13, he talks his ability. I, I, I don't have the ability to do this. Indeed, I've... When, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your father sent me to you, and they say, what's his name? So I, I don't even know what to tell them. Just in verse 1, he starts to talk about how ineffective he's going to be. He says, I'm not going to be effective if I go. And, we, and, he, and he wants to be effective. We need to be effective in ministry, but our effectiveness is, is not up to us. It's up to God. Chapter 4, verse 10, when, when, which I read, it says, finally just says, I, I just can't do it. I'm incompetent. Oh, Lord, I am not eloquent, neither, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I just can't do it. This isn't the same Moses back in Exodus chapter 2. He's in his 80s. He's coming up with a lot of excuses. I think his vision, his ambition is gone. Sounds like he's just content to stay on the hill with the sheep and just to do what he's been doing. And I think sometimes we can relate with that. But God has determination to use Moses no matter what. And he's going to gently lead him. His anger is going to rise. But he knows that Moses is exactly who he wants for the job. 
uh, point something out about this whole, all the signs and everything in chapter 4. We're going to see something as, you, as you're reading your Bible. The Lord gives his word to Moses and to tells Moses what to do before he reveals his power to him. He tells him what to do, and then he says, then the power is going to fall. We're seeing this, and it's important to think about this as we step into our obedience ourselves. God tells us, and then he says, then I'll, then I'll show you, I'll meet you. Chapter 3, chapter 4, God is doing most of all of the talking. You don't hear Moses say a whole lot, but you don't see a lot of his power yet. He's talking to Moses. You're not going to see his power until Moses takes his step. He says, throw your staff on the ground. And then it turns into a snake. He says, reach down and grab the snake by the tail. I don't know about you, but you don't ever grab a snake by the tail. You guys are just reading this and going, that's just, that's the exact wrong thing to do. And he says, take the snake by the tail and it will turn back into it into a rod or into a staff it's really probably better staff the rod that a, a shepherd would, would carry is probably not what he's talking about it's probably the shepherd's staff throw it down picks it back up listen I, I I'm not sure we don't know it doesn't say what kind of snake it is but I think it's a poisonous dangerous snake it might even be a cobra and there's a reason it might be a cobra is because we're going to get to that in a minute but but on the, on the crown of the Egyptian king, the pharaoh, there would be a cobra that would stretch out. And we think that, that, that this is just a kind of a sign to pharaoh when he does the whole cobra, th the, the staff, that he's like, no, you, you are not the cobra. I have power over the cobra. He's been a shepherd for 40 years now. We got, you know, we got uh, people live out in, in like, you know, Baldwin Lake. And it, you, on our last trip, Josh was telling us how many snakes he's caught, rattlesnakes, that he's caught and killed like, at his house, like right on his steps and all that. You know, when you live out in the woods, you, you're used to snakes. And you don't run from snakes. This snake, he puts the staff on the ground, it turns to a snake, and Moses runs away. So uh, this isn't a garter snake, just to let you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cobras. Yeah, yeah, six, eight, six feet at least, I'm sure. So he runs away, and, and, and God says, quit running. Come back and pick it up by the tail. No thanks. <laughs> um, but he does. Moses, in faith, rooted in faith, he steps forward, and in obedience, he reaches out and grabs the snake by the tail. What do you do if you're Moses? I, I'm running. When that happened to me, I'm, I'm, I'm running. What we're going to see here in this chapter is that God is looking for us to have obedience rooted in our faith in God. We don't like that. Just to act in faith. We want to have some more concrete evidence in our life. What happens when the Lord asks us to do that? Take a step that's risky. We want to back away. It's dangerous. It doesn't make sense. But God says, I've revealed it to you in my word. Be obedient to what I've commanded you. We get nervous. And then we do what Moses did. We, we tend to justify our disobedience. 
Verse 1, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They'll say the Lord did not appear to you. I, I, I think he's realizing that, that he, was in the, he was an Egyptian and a Hebrew, but neither, neither group is going to really listen to him. It's like, I'm going to go back there, and, and I fled Pharaoh's house. I fled Egypt. The, he, the Hebrews won't listen to me. I've been gone for 40 years. He starts making excuses. He's inadequate. He's inefficient. He lacks the ability. And he says, they're not going to believe me. And I think that we're all guilty of, of the same, similar things of what Moses is doing. We give excuses. We say, I can't do it. Send somebody else, not me. But we need to learn how to be obedient in our faith. Sometimes we feel that we've disqualified we've been disqualified from our, by our pasts, by our thoughts, by our presence. But I think that, that God wants to use us. I think that God just wants us to be obedient and, and follow and serve Him. And I think that there's a difference that we can make as we will step into obedience and just be faithful. And I'm not talking about profound uh, obedience like Moses has. In fact, I don't, I don't know if there's any Moseses in the house. But there's people here that God's calling us to be obedient in our families, in our, in our work, in our churches, in our communities, to raise our kids, to pray, to be a godly example. We don't have to wait for some high call like Moses has. He's calling us to be faithful in the little things, in the day-to-day -day things. And I tell you, even as, as a man, sometimes, you know, we, we have a failure and we just want to give up. Well, it's just not working for me. And we want to throw in the towel. But no, we need to continue to press in and become obedient. Not because of, of what we can do, but because of who is in us. Remember last week we talked about God's response to Moses when he says, well, who am I? And he said, it's not about you. He says, I will be with you. That was God's response. I will be with you. You know, when I have my glasses on, I can look around the room. I just see a whole bunch of average people, and it's okay to be average. You know, there, we don't have to be spectacular. We don't have to be Moses. We can just be average people. Most of us are probably never going to speak to crowds of 10 and 20 and 30,000 people about Jesus. And most of us are probably not going to sell all of our possessions and, and move for the rest of our lives to a foreign country. Maybe there's somebody in here. I, I'd be awesome to see that. But all of us are called for simple obedience. You know, in all of uh, Moses' excuses, I talked a little bit about this last week, in all of his excuses, I love what the Lord does and what he doesn't do. He just says, I'm going to be with you. You know, he doesn't speak to Moses' low self-esteem. I love that. He doesn't come out and go, oh, Moses, you know, don't talk about yourself like that. You know, you're just, a, you're a good guy. You're, you're probably one of the smartest people in Midian. You know, and you're, you really are a good speaker. This is what, he, just, he just bypasses all of that. He doesn't, he doesn't pander to, to, to his low self-esteem. And I tell you, man, I have pity parties, and I can be just like Moses. You know what the problem with my pity parties? 
I throw a pity party and no one comes. So what does Moses do in, 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 in or what does God do in Moses' uh, justification? I can't do it, I can't do it. And then he, he's, he's not being obedient. He's, um, he's delaying his obedience and, and even he's got a blatant disobedience. God gives him three signs. Gives him the sign of the snake, the sign of leprosy, and the sign of, of turning water into blood. The water of the Nile and it's important what, where it's coming from. The, the word here was signs, and it's important. There's the word signs and wonders. And, and when you read, when we read chapter 4, it talked about signs, and later talked about the wonders. There's a different word, and, and each of them have a different purpose. He talks about these as signs. These aren't just uh, um, magic tricks that God's going to do just to, to, to have some fun. These are signs of God's power, of God's goodness, and they're signs directly to... to um, Pharaoh's pride and is relying on the gods of Egypt and himself. We're going to learn something. Moses learned something. The Hebrews learned something. The Egyptians learned something from these signs. Verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So I, I talked about it a second ago. On Pharaoh's crown would have been an unfurled cobra. And remember, we've talked about there's a lot of gods in Egypt. But the Pharaoh became a god. And as he wore that crown... It was him saying, I am a God, and I am, an, I am a mighty, mighty God. And I love the fact that God is going to say, we're going to go right into Pharaoh's presence. And you're going to carry, you're going to carry a shepherd's staff. And, and if you remember, in, in, in Genesis, the, the children of Israel ha- couldn't live in, in, in the same place. They had to live over in Goshen because the uh, shepherds were detestable to the Egyptians. So Shepherd Moses is going to walk into his presence with a shepherd's staff, and that detestable shepherd with his detestable shepherd's staff is going to turn into the cobra, the snake that is all-powerful. And and we know that the magicians do that, right? They throw their staffs down and they, they turn in, but God's staff eats theirs. He became, Pharaoh became like a god. So Moses, who was, was running from that, from that power of the, of the serpent, and he tried to escape the power of the Pharaoh, is now going back, and he's going to show God's power. And, and, and what, a, what an amazing testimony, too. I mean, you know, if you've ever looked at snakes, I mean, I mean s- snakes are just, I like them way over there, behind glass. But there's a, and again, I might not be a cobra, but I'm thinking it's probably a cobra. And there's that cobra on the ground. And to show the strength, Moses just goes down and picks it up in the worst way you can possibly pick up a snake. I mean, that thing could just come around. Leprosy. Second sign, put your hand inside the cloak. Turns into leprosy pulls it back in and it's healed. Leprosy 
has been a, it's been a horrible disease forever. You can actually find writings um, as early as 600 BC in in historical accounts of of real leprosy. Now in the Bible, sometimes when you see the word leprosy, it's not leprosy. The word they translate can be leprosy, but it can also be like a mold, and it can be some other things. But when it talks about white, here, this is the real leprosy. It would be disfiguring. They didn't know how to cure it. People with leprosy were, um, would be banished. It can disfigure you. It can disfigure your face. I mean, body parts can fall off. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It affects the ears a lot. I mean, it, so, so here's, here's Egypt. It's, a, it's an amazing nation. It's powerful. They would have spent time trying to cure leprosy. It would have been something that if, if leprosy breaks out in, in, in your area, I don't know if you guys remember the show Monk. Have you ever watched Monk? There was, there, was a, there was a leper on Monk once, and if you've ever watched Monk, he's like a germaphobe and everything a phobe, and he was just freaking out over this guy on leprosy. You know, it's... It, you can, it's uh, you can spread the contact through just nasal secretions and it can kill you and back then you, actually very few would die they would just begin to be deformed body parts would fall off and they would live in misery so I believe that this leprosy thing is it's like walking in and going my God can, can cure the disease that everyone in this area, everyone's afraid of they have all the rules of, of that God gives us about leprosy that we're going to get to in a few chapters Leprosy was no joke, and he says, God is more powerful than this. Sure, you've been working on a cure. My God is powerful. All your wisdom, all your gold, all your know-how. Moses, put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. It's healed. Moses, inadequate, all of his fears, and yet he can overcome the serpent. He can overcome leprosy if they will not believe these two signs or listen to your voice you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground now, now just real quick the Nile is the most important uh, part of Egypt when people think of Egypt they think of a couple things pyramids and the Nile um, the, the Nile is, is what makes the, any part of the land of Egypt fertile um, during the, the rainy season it can bring 30 feet of uh, nutrient-rich soil up onto the desert. And I if, if I'm correct, a lot of the desert around in Egypt is, is, is red, but then the black soil, rich in nutrients, would come up right around the Nile, and that's why it's so, it's so important. I've, if you ever drive around any part of the United States where there's little rivers, I, I like what, driving through like the, the desert areas, and all of a sudden you see all these trees growing up, and you go, well, there's, there's got to be a little stream there, you know? Egypt was right on the Nile, and they would, the, 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 the Nile was so important for, for trading, for being fertile. Um, they, uh, they even called the Nile the father of life, the mother of all, the divine spirit that blessed the land unceasingly. The Nile makes Egypt, Egypt. And so he says, if they don't listen to you, take a cup of water out of the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and it's going to turn to blood. I got to dip it in, get all the people around me and say, hey, come and watch my sign. It's still water. Okay, guys. 
when does the miracle happen? When he pours it out. Wouldn't have been, it would have been so much nicer if he, if he could have looked down and it was already blood and just scoop it up. It would have even been okay if he would have scooped it up and then it would have turned blood into the cup. He would have, but no, God's saying, no, you're going to call everyone around and it's not going to turn to blood until you pour it out. Obedience rooted in faith. Has God ever called you to do something crazy? Get your cup. Fill it up. Get everyone around. God's going to use Moses to overthrow one of the most powerful forces in human history. This morning, I want to I challenge us, and I want to speak to us a little bit about a strong word that's coming out of this section here. We live in a time that sometimes the word coming at church is, is a little a little fluffy. And we need, some, we need some messages that encourage us. But I want to encourage and challenge us this morning. I want to ask a question. Is your life marked by obedience rooted in faith? Is my, my life marked by obedience that's, that's coming from the faith that I have in God? Am I willing to be Moses who's, who's going to take up the serpent by the tail who's, who's, who's going to let his hand get leprous in the first place, who's going to stand before the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, the leaders, and pour water onto the ground, not knowing if it's going to turn to blood or not. Is your relationship with, with God marked by a desire towards obedience? Not perfection, but towards obedience. We all struggle. But are we struggling towards God? Are we struggling towards obeying Him? Now we know there's thousands and thousands of churches in the United States, and especially if you live in the Bible Belt. And this week I, I heard one speaker who, who had, he had even, I mean, he, he's in the Bible Belt himself, and he just said, let me get his little quote, churches everywhere are jam-filled with people who have no mark of being Christian on their lives other than the fact that they attend once a week. Now that's, an accu that's not my accusations, but it's a question. It's, a, it's an accusation against the church. Is, are, are the churches filled with people who other than coming once a week have any other sign of being Christian? No obedience to God, no desire for obedience, no relationship with Christ, no seriousness about the things of God. People come, they check off their list, they, and they call themselves a Christian. And I, I want to tell all of us this morning, if there's, there's no desire for obedience to Jesus, we, we shouldn't count ourselves Christian. It's not a club. And it seems a little strong. But how cruel it would be to just to let everyone, everyone think that everything's all good. Everyone's good. God is calling us to obedience that comes out of faith in Him. Obedience that comes out of our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, that He died for our sins. 
Now, I'm speaking to believers and those who, who profess to be believers today. This morning you might be here and, and you're not a believer. You don't know about Christianity a whole lot. The first thing you need to do is get to know Jesus. Let him reveal himself to you. But for us who who've claim to be believers and claim to be Christian, how is our obedience going? How is our life? Could people see? Do you look different than the world? I think God is pleased as our faith lives out in being obedient to him. Stumbling forward all the ways. Some people in here in other churches, yep, they were baptized when they were young. They attended Awanas. They went to youth group and Bible camps and, and, and maybe sit in church. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Remember the old, old uh, was it Keith Green, I think he used to say, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Not just talking about being good people or moral conservatives, but a heart that's after the Lord. Pleasing Him, wanting to please Him. So, here's where we're at, we're, we're right where Moses is. He's standing on the ground and the Word of God is coming to Moses. Drop your staff, reach out your hand, put your hand in your cloak. Take a cup of water from the Nile. Moses does it. The power of God manifests. God tells us, walk this way in life. Follow me. Obey my commands. And Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You've made known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. path of life is found in the word of God Jesus tells us how he wants us to live Apostle Paul tells us how we should as Christians live we don't get to decide what's good God has to do that if we take it into our own hands then we become God for the name of Christ for our own souls let's look at ourselves become obedient follow him love him you know if, it, if it's not coming out of a heart of love then we're just legalists it comes out of a, a heart of faith and love of what God has done for us and, and I don't want to offend anyone I also don't want us to just think that we can have Christian language and be okay He wants to transform us and renew us. You know, if we had a, a mountaintop experience where God was speaking to us in the bush, hopefully we'd, we'd listen. But look at Moses. He sees God in the bush. He calls him Lord. But this, remember we talked a little bit about last week, Lord being I am Yahweh in, in some of these passages where he's talking to, to, to God, saying, Lord, send someone else, he's saying, Lord, Adonai. And that word means master, sovereign, Lord. 
That means sovereign is the all-powerful creator. So this is what it looks like. Moses talking to God in a burning bush that doesn't go out. He's got some signs. You know, the staff and I, And he's saying, Almighty, all-powerful, creator, master of my life and the world? No. <laughs> Making more excuses. And, and, and God says to him, listen, who made, God, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? Go. I will be your mouth and I will teach you what to say. God's mercy comes. Do you ever wrestle with God's I won't call it. I use the word sovereignty wrong so often. That that part of God is: Does He know everything ahead of time? Does He, you know, does He do it this way? Is everything predestined? God knew that Moses was going to talk and say no. He says, "Fine, your brother Aaron is on his way to meet you." Right? You read that. A little while later, he actually says that Aaron said, yeah, God came to me and told me to go meet my brother. Oh, so Aaron was on his way already because God ahead of time had told him to go meet, meet his brother Moses because God knew that Moses would be on the mountain having an argument with God about not doing it by himself. And, and God is telling, no, do it, do it, do it, do it, even though all along he knew that he wasn't going to do it and he'd already prepared Aaron to come and be walking towards the mountain of God. Is that cool? God is amazing. But he wants us to be obedient. And, and we don't know if, if Moses was robbed of some blessings by, by uh, not being fully obedient because he, he relied on his brother Aaron. But God is sovereign. Listen, where was it? Verse 14, after Moses says, Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Really what he's saying is send anyone but me. Anyone but me. In verse 14, what does it say there? The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. That's powerful. God does get angry. He gets angry with us. He's looking for us to, in faith, be obedient and follow him. Now, not just lip knowledge, not, not just, just lip service, but he wants us to fully be obedient to Adonai, our Lord. I know you're God. I know you're Lord, but my weakness just surpasses your omnipotence, God. My fear is bigger than your courage. I'm not going to do it. You know, I, be, I think a lot of people want to, their neighbors to be saved. And they say, you know, I just, I just want to see my neighbors come to faith and I want to see the church grow. And I think a lot of us in here would, would, would feel those that way. And yet many times if somebody were to come to you and goes, well, have you shared your faith with your neighbors yet? We'll go, well, no, I can't do that. Uh, you know, yeah, I want them to go get saved. I want them to go to hell, but 
I really probably couldn't talk to them about that. You know, I've got this person at work, man, I'm just praying for him. I'm hoping that, that he gets saved. Have you told him about Jesus? Yeah, well, no, I can't do that. You know, he knows me, and he might not accept it from me because I've done some bad things in the past. In faith, in boldness, we obey him, and we go. Amen. I, I don't have the good words, God. I, don't, I just don't know. God says, oh, come on. You can do it. Yeah, he might as well just said, you're right. You're a horrible speaker. But I'm going to tell you what to say. Just go do it. Just go. Do we submit to God as the almighty God, the sovereign ruler? Or do we treat him more as a, as a gopher and a, maybe a, I don't know, a butler? You know, Uber Eats. Can you go get me some food? We need to understand he is God. Now, I want to touch something just just briefly here, and I don't know if you've read this or not, and if it freaked you out at all. Verse 24. Some of you might be going, is he going to go there? Verse 24, and I'm going to be honest, I read and I studied, and we don't really know what's happening here. We've got some ideas. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, and when I say we, it's people smarter than me, scholars. But, but there are some things we know, and I'm going to try to draw this here because it is part of this message, and then we'll close. Came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Here's one of the problems right away. We don't know him for sure. We don't know for sure if it's Moses or if it's his son. The him there gets a little confusing as we read it. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet. That, that part's there. Actually, it doesn't even say Moses there. It says his feet. So we don't know if she casted it at Moses' feet or his, her son's feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And then the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. I mean, I don't know if you're ever reading along and go, What? It's okay to do that. And, and sometimes, I just we'll go what until we get to heaven, and then, then, then God will tell us what he's talking about. But let me set a couple things up here. Moses was, was raised, yes, in the house of Pharaoh, but he's, his first couple of years he was raised by his mother. He's probably circumcised. The people of the land of Midian were probably circumcised. Probably. We don't know for sure. Moses has two, two children, we're talking about one of them here, who is not circumcised yet. So there's, there's a real deal here. Moses did not circumcise his son. And according to Genesis chapter 17, the covenant of circumcision comes with Abram. You shall circumcise every male born in the house. This is, this is a lasting thing. It's supposed to happen for the descendants of Abraham, for the nation of Israel to be circumcised. Moses would know that. And he hadn't done it. 
there's a covenant with, uh, uh, with God here happening. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant of God. It's a covenant of blood that he will be our covering, that he will be our protection. And Moses hasn't done that to his son. We don't know if he wanted to live like an Egyptian, to walk like an Egyptian, if he was living like a Midianite. But whatever it was, he hadn't been obedient to God in this. And Zipporah knew it. Because as soon as this happened, it looks like immediately she circumcises him and says, it's done. And it moves on. Obedience had to happen, but we had to understand that there was a covenant made with the people of God of circumcision. Now today, in the New Testament, the covenant of baptism is, is the sign of the circumcision for us. Because baptism is, remember, circumcision is showing that God is our head, God is our covering. It's a covenant of blood. Jesus shed his blood for us. And when we're baptized, we're saying, I'm all in. I'm dying to myself. He's my Lord. And that covenant is so important to us. And we've had uh, baptisms here. We just had one recently. We got a number of people here in the, in the service this morning who were baptized who says, I'm going to follow Jesus completely. For us, that's an important covenant that we it's a sign of the covenant that we have with God. It doesn't make us saved. It's a sign that we are saved. And we go in there and we say you're being buried, buried to your sins, buried to your old self, and you're coming up in newness of life. And we, we get baptized because Jesus told us to and we become obedient to that because we've walked and we've received the covenant of his blood. Not the covenant of circumcision. It's the covenant of his blood when Jesus Christ died for us. Covenants. Covenant language, that's, a, that's not a contract. Covenants are these all-in propositions. God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. We, we, have, we, we, we do covenant language at weddings. Oh, their weddings have covenant language in them. It looks like this. There's a time where they, the bride and the groom, they, they turn to one another. When I do a wedding, I always make them face me because I'm talking to them. We're going to talk to them for a little while. We're going to talk to God. But after a while, they're going to talk to each other. And they grab hands. And on this great day of love and romance, they say some really strange things. You know, I promise to love you and honor you in sickness and in health. In good times and in bad times. For richer, for poorer. That's covenant language. That's not, as long as you, there's no words in the wedding ceremony that say, I promise to do all that as long as you're nice to me. I promise to love you as long as you don't spend too much money. I promise none of that exists in the wedding. It's covenant language. I promise. No matter what, that's it. That's a covenant. That's the covenant God has with us. He gave his son for us. And our covenant back is, I will follow you. I will love you. 
the cost of sin cost Jesus to shed his blood. Through the covenant of Christ, there's life and forgiveness. In Christ, there's life and forgiveness. Outside of Christ, there's judgment and death for everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, this is heavy. This is heavy, but in Christ, we have everything to be thankful for because we have life in the covenant. We, I like to play games, but Christianity is not a game. You know, we can get together at a potluck and play games as Christians, but Christianity is not a game. It's very serious. And this world needs to see committed people living up to their, in obedience, in faith. You know, I, I, heard, I heard one pastor say, and I, I've heard, I've listened to him sometimes, Matt Chandler, and he says, coming to church if you are not a Christian is the weirdest thing in the world. He says, don't bother coming. I love a pastor says that. Don't come. He says, come on, it's a Sunday. Go out on the lake. Why are you here? If, if you're not going to follow Jesus, if, if you're not a Christian, why come? Be in. Come. Be transformed by him. You know, I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty powerful. But I'd say, well, you come until you're transformed. But don't think you can just come and play a game. You know, there's, you don't get to a certain number of, of attendance and goes, oh, wow, well, they never accepted my son, Jesus, as Savior, but they attended church faithfully for three years. I'm going to let them in. Not what happens. God doesn't play around with sin. Doesn't play around outside the covenant. Even for Moses' firstborn son, there was death was going to happen. Death was going to happen unless they were under the covenant. That's the same thing for us. There's so much joy when we follow the Lord and walk in obedience. Turning our back on sin. Walking to Him. Sharing the gospel. Having somebody come become a believer. So much joy in Christ. I think that the people who are living for Christ are, are and they should be the most happy people, happiest people on earth. Without Christ, we have nothing. Colossians 2 says this, In Jesus... Also, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Not talking about circumcision anymore. That's under the old covenant. We're talking about a new covenant. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So now the shed blood of Christ becomes our circumcision. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. like I said, like a wedding. Shannon and I are 23 years, 24 in February. And we've had some tough times. But it's a covenant. I'm in. I'm in. There's been some really hard times. I, I wish we could, I could say that we never even brought up the word divorce. It's come up a few times. 
it, it usually looks like this. I mean, if something similar, like, well, should we get a divorce? And, like, almost immediately, no. It, it comes quickly. And we go, that's not an option. When I first married Shannon, I told her something. I said, I am more committed. What I, what I said at the time was the, to the institution of marriage, to what marriage is. It's a covenant. I'm more committed to that than I am to you. And she was offended at first. But, but here's the thing. If I'm only committed to a person, when I'm not loving that person anymore, I'm not committed anymore. But the covenant doesn't change. That's the way it should be in marriage. We, we're just, no, there's no, way, there's no way out. This is it. And so we work it. We need to be committed to the covenant of Christ and what he's done for us. We should have a little bit of anxiety about the state of our souls. The Bible says to check yourself and see if you're really in the faith. We should be always pushing in towards God. I, I preached a message a while back about falling towards him, failing towards God. First question, are you in the covenant or are you outside of the covenant? It's easy to become inside. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth then believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. That means forgive me of my sin. I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. The next question is for us as Christians. What are some areas in your life that are outside of the covenant? They're in disobedience. That's up to you to figure out and pray that the Lord will show you what those are. Areas that you clearly know that the Lord is asking you to do something or to be. We want the power of God, but we don't always want to be obedient to Him. There's some some major ways that we can see our discipline, our obedience to Him. That's in our, our finances, our service. Are we really serving Him? I'm not going to take another offering. But if you want to know, somebody said this, if you want to know, even the Lord Jesus said this, you, where your heart is, that your tre- where your treasure is, right? Where your treasure is, your heart, heart shall be also. Look at your checkbook. Well, a lot of people don't have checkbooks anymore, but where's your money going? Are you committed? Are you obedient to him? Service. I saw this really funny meme this a couple weeks ago, and I just I chuckled. And I, I'm not on Facebook much anymore, but I'm, I'm on there, and sometimes I see something I want to repost, but I thought somebody got offended, so I didn't repost it. But it was this person saying, I want to go to on the mission field. And somebody else said back, and it was just a meme with a cat or something. I don't know how the cat got in there. And this is, you want to go to the mission field, you won't even serve in the nursery. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. You know, we want to do these big things for God, and we have a work day, and four people show up. <laughs> Service, our finances. We want to come to church and have staff and people doing everything for us. 
we, we, this country is really bad. We, we like to be served a lot. And God's calling us, we need to be in, fully in. Church can't be about me. Well, I didn't really like the message today. I might try to find somewhere else. You know, there wasn't a great nursery worker in the nursery. I think I'm going to go find another church. Well, hey, maybe you should be the great nursery worker in the nursery. Let's be committed to him. Well, if I do these things, it might hurt me. It's true. Think about what Moses, uh, God asked Moses to do. Grab the tail. If I grab that tail, it might bite me. It's true. It might. Or maybe it won't. One thing, you, sometimes in the church, you, you hear messages like, oh, just do it and everything is going to be fine. I love to hear the stories of, of when people say, you know, I hadn't been giving finances and I, and I just started, I, I started trusting God and we had some miracles, you know. Um, a few weeks ago, that, I think that was, you know, that happened. There's just some miracles, you know, started giving a little bit of, just a little bit of faith. I'm gonna, Lord, we don't have enough money, but I'm going to trust you. And they gave some and, and some things, just blessings started happening. Well, sometimes... I wish it was always that way, but sometimes we hear the other story. Yeah, I started, started tithing and things went bad. It happens sometimes. Eventually, God always restores it because he's good. Well, pour the cup out onto the land. Well, but what if I do and nothing happens? You know, I'm going to call everyone around to look and say, hey, God's going to do this. I'm going to pour the cup. It's going to turn to blood. What if it doesn't turn to blood? Then I'm going to look pretty stupid. Maybe. Maybe not. Trust in God. Have faith. And let, let his power come to pass. We step out in obedience first. I think there's joy and gladness to be found in submission to the Lordship of Christ. We're talking about him being your Lord. Not just as I said last week or the week before, not just your homie. Adonai, my Lord, my Master, sovereign, all-powerful God. We don't want to have a dry, crusty, external religious life. But we want to have joy in Him. I just want to encourage you to pray and see where your heart is and see where your life is. If, if, you're, if you're growing and this is a, 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 we're all on the journey together, keep pressing in and let him lead you into the next step of obedience for you. Let's, let's pray. God, you gave us your all. You gave us your son and who laid down his life for our sin and that we could have right relationship with you. God, this morning, we want to be in right relationship with you. And we want to follow you. We want you to be our Lord. God, if there's things in our life, and there are, that you're asking to be under your Lordship, I pray that we would hear your voice and heed your call. And in faith, we'd be obedient. Even though the power hasn't come yet, we will throw the staff down. We will pour the water out. And then you will show yourself powerful 
in all things. We thank you for the example that you've given us this week in the book of Exodus chapter 4. Pray that you would walk with us. Have grace for us when we stumble, when we falter. We thank you for the errands who are on their way to help us. God, but we pray that we would be obedient in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a a great Thanksgiving. We have lots to be thankful for. Amen.